Welcome to Main Menu for the week of February 7 to February 13, 2014. I'm your host, David Tanner, and welcome. We are very pleased to have you with us today on Main Menu. Well, we have quite an interesting show lined up for you today. We start out with the second part of the GW Micro Wide Binder on new users to WindowWise, and we will be hearing the people from the training department at GW Micro again, and they're going to be bringing you the rest of the wide binder that did not fit into last week's program here on Main Menu. And part of that will be a question and answer time from some of the people who were participating in the web binder. And I think you'll learn some more very interesting and helpful information in in that production. And while we're at it talking about GW Micro, I might mention to you that GW Micro just introduced this week the fact that they are now supporting the Spanish language in Windowize. And if you're interested in having a Spanish version of Windowize, there are a number of ways you can obtain that. If you want the version for Microsoft Office, you can go to www.windowizeforoffice.com. All of that is in small letters written together, windowizeforoffice.com. And there, when you go to download the software, you want to be sure in the language chooser that you choose Spanish and you can download the free version from there if you want the full version of Windowize with support for more voices and unlimited free access to technical support from GW Micro you can contact them by phone at area 260 number 489-3671 or online you can go to gwmicro.com and purchase online there and there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can actually purchase it there online. Or if you want to find your local dealer, you can go to www.gwmicro.com dealers and get a list of the dealers and find the one that is nearest you and contact your local dealer. After the Webbinder, then David Woodbridge a member of our staff here at Main Menu comes to you and he's going to be demonstrating how to use airfoil to support a number of speakers attached to your Mac to broadcast audio from your Mac to a number of speakers at the same time. And then after David's demonstration, we Chase Crispin, executive producer for our main menu, comes to you with an interview with Brad Davis from Freedom Scientific. And Chase and Brad are going to be talking about the latest release of the Ruby HD handheld video magnifier. And you'll want to be listening to that if you are interested in a video magnifier. There are a number of new features that you'll want to know about. And be able to check that out if it's something that you might be interested in. Before we get into our coverage for today, we have some other technology announcements we want to bring to you. The first of those is from Humanware. Humanware has this week announced the release of VictorStream firmware version 4.3. This new firmware release adds quite a number of new features. 
The first is support for over 36,000 internet radio stations, which you can pick up on your Victor Stream through Wi-Fi, and there is all kinds of stations that you will be able to access, as I say, from all over the world through the internet. And if you aren't quite sure about how to do that, or you want to access some of those some of those stations prior to learning all of the how to do the finding the different stations, Humanware says they have put together a number of playlists that you can access and take a listen to to get get a sampling of how that all works and and how the sound works and so forth with that feature. Another feature that they uh, are now supporting is playing Audible books from audible.com. You can download books from audible.com and play them on your Victor stream. If you are interested in being able to access the Wikipedia Encyclopedia or Wikipedia Dictionary, you can do both of those from your new stream firmware and you can even save the information that you have found to your device for reading later uh, when you're not online which is pretty neat and then finally don't forget that they support with the victor stream the accessing of bookshare and downloading books from bookshare and it only takes one key to activate the download of whatever book you want from bookshare and they remind us that if you currently have been using the original Victor Stream, the layout of the keyboard is exactly the same for operation of playing books on the new Victor Stream. And so it's not like you'll have a whole lot new to learn, just a whole lot more features in the new Victor Stream with better voices, better volume, and a nicer speaker on the Victor Stream, and it's lighter weight. All right, and then next up, Hims Corporation has announced the release of a patch that fixes the broken client for Twitter on your BrailleSense Plus and BrailleSense U2. It's available from their webpage. You will want to go to their webpage, go to the Resource Center, find the section on the BrailleSense U2 or the BrailleSense Plus, whichever device you have, and you can download the patch from there. You'll want to be sure you follow the installation instructions given on the website on how to do the update and uh, put this patch in so that you now have access to Twitter again. And then finally from Duxbury, Duxbury Systems has just announced this week the release of Duxbury version 11.2 and version 11.2 includes the fixing of a few bugs and support for five or so more languages in the translator and also gives you some new support for different document types to be able to be used with Duxbury and Microsoft Word. And again, if you are a licensed Duxbury user, you can go to your help menu in Duxbury, hit U for upgrades, and it will check for eligible upgrades. And if you are eligible for uh, upgrade, the, it, you can download the upgrade and install it right from the help menu there in your version of Duxbury. Otherwise, you can also go to the web page and check for updates and check and see if you are eligible for the update. If you are not currently eligible for an update, you can also download a copy of this version of 
Duxbury and use it in demo mode and you can get that from the main page of the Duxbury webpage. Well, that's the new technology information and we want to now go ahead and get into our presentations for today. We hope you have a great week and that you get a lot of valuable information out of main menu today. Let's get on into our segments for today and you have a great week and we'll see you here again next week on main menu. Hi, I'm Chase Crispin, the executive producer of Main Menu. We are currently looking for listeners who are willing to review any type of accessible technology for us here on Main Menu. If you are interested in doing a review of a product that you own, or an interview with its vendor, then please contact us and let us know what you're interested in doing. Before you begin to record a segment, it is important to contact us so that we can ensure that it hasn't already been covered on our program. To get in contact with us, please send an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org and let us know what demonstration or interview you would like to do. Once you have completed your recording, please again send an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org and let us know how we might get the file from you and if it will need any further editing. We can get files from you in any method such as SendSpace or Dropbox, any way that works for you. Once we receive your file, we will let you know when it will be aired on Main Menu. Presentations from our listeners are always interesting and well received by the rest of the listeners, so if this interests you, please get in touch with us. Thank you for your interest and we look forward to hearing from you on the show very soon. Let's go ahead and give the audience an opportunity to ask a question or make a comment uh, with the microphone. So I'll go ahead and release the microphone and let's get one audio question or comment from the audience. Uh, this is RJ. Um, I have uh, a two-parter question. Uh, the first part is uh, I've installed uh, Windows for Office and um, I'm hoping to get Microsoft uh, Office 2010 soon, um, and currently it's running in demonstration mode. So when I install Office, um, will Windows recognize the fact that I have installed Office? And um, my second uh, question is, do you guys have your own Braille displays that people can buy or people can get so that they won't have to deal with the fact of, oh, I do have a Focus 40 Blue and uh, Window Eyes uh, API is not able to be updated because I think it would be um, a good thing if uh, Window Eyes, uh, not Windows, um, GW Micro had their own Braille display that would work with Window Eyes as well. Have you guys thought about? doing that, and I believe that question would be for Dan Wyrick. So to answer your first question, uh, once you do have Office 2010 installed and activated, uh, you simply need to restart Windowize, and it will see that and run uh, in fully unrestricted mode. 
to answer your second question, we currently do not sell any Braille hardware, but um, there are quite a few manufacturers out there who do provide good quality uh, displays that are, uh, for the record, very cooperative with us. Um, those include HIMSS, HumanWare, BOM, HandyTech, and there's probably a few others, so apologies to any representatives who might be listening that I may have forgotten. But you do have options out there, aside from uh, those uh, already mentioned. All right, thank you for the helpful response there, Steve, and for your question, RJ. Let's go ahead and get back to a text chat question that was submitted by Jesse Anderson. And Jesse asks, how does table navigation work, since Control-Alt-Arrow keys typically are used to move around a table? And then we've got to make sure we fully understand the context of your question, Jesse, because you're going to encounter tables both in documents as well as on the web. And I believe the navigation techniques are slightly different depending on the context of where you are. If you're talking about tables in Word, there are windowized commands in order to move around all of those different cells, uh, read information. And the same is true inside of a web browser as well. So if you're in Firefox or Internet Explorer, there are windowized commands to be able to move around those, and we've not found any conflicts, and we've had these keys for um, years and years and years and years and years. So I don't think I'd be too concerned about that. Now I'll add that if you're talking about navigating tables on the web, you can enable tables mode by pressing Control plus, and you'll hear tables mode enabled or tables mode on. And once you've done that, you can move through the cells of the table using your insert and arrow keys. So if you wanted to move down a row, insert down arrow. If you wanted to move a column to the right, insert right arrow will do that. So you can move through that table in its two-dimensional layout just as the author intended. And you can also control how window-wise announces the headers uh, for that table. So you can have a very intuitive reading experience. So I'd encourage you to check out the documentation in the window-wise manual under um, how to use the internet, and there'll be a section on tables that'll list all of those keystrokes. But to turn tables mode on, it's control numpad plus, and to turn it off, it's control minus. Okay, now I'll go ahead and get back to the audience here, and let's see if there's any more questions uh, or comments from the audience who has a microphone. I'll open up the floor. Here we go. This is Mark. This is Craig Warner. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Craig. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm an old Windowize user, and I came here just to share some helpful tips that uh, really got me through the Windowize learning curve, and I promised Jeremy I'd do it in under a minute. The first one is to read the manual. I know a lot of you don't like to read books, but if the manual is well written, that is, if the sentence structure is clear, if the instructions are unambiguous, it's very, very helpful. The biggest reason that I switched screen readers when I was making the transition from Windows to, from DOS to Windows was I wanted a screen reader whose documentation would go. The second system is to advantage of the, of the tutorials. They weren't around when I learned Windowwise. They are now, and each of the tutorials has a very, very clear and descriptive name in the tutorial base. So when you take a look at the title, you know exactly what you're going to get when you look at the tutorial. The third is to find a sighted person who knows Windows very well to sit with you. She or he isn't going to know anything about screen readers, and sometimes she might see things that you wouldn't hear or vice versa. But if you have somebody there to tell you what's on the screen, it will sometimes make your work a lot easier. Thanks, Craig. I really appreciate that. I think that really helps coming from somebody who um, has uh, made the switch, and, and that uh, can speak volumes for those who are currently in that uh, transition. Thanks again. 
Yep, Craig, thank you for those comments. And um, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and take another text chat question. This one's from Kevin Huber. And Kevin asks, if a user makes a support call, how you know if he or she is calling about a retail version of Windowize or the free version? So the way that we'll be able to know is through your Windowize serial number. Anyone that contacts GW Micro and requests support either via email or with a phone call will be asked to provide their Windowize serial number. And if you're using the free version of Windowize through the offer for users of Microsoft Office, the default generic serial number that you have is GW Office. And for those that own a retail copy, you'll have your unique serial number. And obviously, you won't want to share that with others because it's something that's tied to your license that you own. Um, now, if you do oh, if you do use the free version but want to purchase support, you'll be provided with a support serial number that you'll be able to provide to the support agent so they will know that you are authorized for support even though you use the free version. So hopefully that answers your questions, Kevin, about how the support process will work moving forward. You'll just provide GW Micro with either your Windowwise serial number or if you use the free version with your unique um, support serial number and that'll get you the, the access to the support that you need. All right, at this time, let's go ahead and turn it back to a audience question who has access to the microphone. Go ahead and open up the floor again here for another question. Morning. This is Marianne. How are all of you? I just wanted to share that I have made the transition uh, as of Friday. So um, I am no longer using any other screen reader at startup. I'm forcing myself to uh, move with the learning curves, and uh, it's pretty exciting. I'm, my husband and I are so happy about this offer. It's truly a game changer in every sense of the word. Here are my questions. I have uh, two of them. So in Outlook, uh, Outlook 2013, um, it is the common issue, I'm, I'm sure you all know about this, where if you are opening your message in its Word and it's displaying tables and HTML, um, you're hearing, you know, entering table and the dimensions of the table. I went into the Outlook Enhance app and I enabled the virtualized message aspect of the app, but it's still reporting that it's leaving the table or it's entering the table and the table's dimensions. I looked into the Word features that will uh, disable table attributes, but then if I'm in my own Word documents and I want to know table attributes, then I feel like I need to go back and readjust all my settings. I'm just wondering if you have points about that. That's my first question. And then the second question is spell check. Is it common that it's not reading the dialog box properly where it's just giving you the options to ignore change, et cetera, but not reporting. And let me know if that's a support issue and then I'll take it there. <laughs> Thanks so much. Marianne, welcome to the GW Micro and Windowwise family. I think that Steve wants to try to help answer both of your questions here. So I'm going to go ahead and see if we can get Steve back on the microphone to respond. I've just been uh, informed that Steve is actually still having some issues, so we're going to see if we can figure out a way for him to uh, be able to respond, if you'll give us just a moment. Okay, you should be hearing me now. We had a nice computer uh, freezing issue, which is uh, never a good thing. But anyway, um, both of your issues, Marianne, are they probably technically count as support, but they can be answered pretty quickly, I think. So the virtualization part of Outlook Enhance is actually handled through an add-in to Outlook itself. So if you've got virtualization enabled under the apps menu and you're still not seeing messages in a friendlier format, 
then my guess is that the Outlook Enhanced add-in itself has been disabled. So you can go into Outlook's options, look under the add-ins tab, and make sure the Outlook Enhanced is installed and running. If it's not, then the first thing you could try is just close Outlook altogether and then reinstall the Outlook Enhanced app. That will re-register it. And the next time you start Outlook, it'll ask, do you want to run this app? You say that you do, and virtualization should work. Uh, the spell check in 2013 is a bit different than 2010 and earlier. Uh, instead of it being a separate dialog, it's now a pane within the same window. And we are aware that there are some just you know general usability keyboard issues with that. And uh, we are working on ways to address that to make it a bit more reliable in terms of speaking. What you can do in the meantime is navigate between spelling or grammar errors that might be in your document with alt semicolon and alt apostrophe. Alt semicolon will move to the previous error. Alt apostrophe will move to the next one, if there is one. And once you're on one of those errors, you can hit up uh, your applications key to bring up a context menu of possible suggestions. So it's not the native way, but it does work in the meantime until we can find a better way to get that spell checker to speak more reliably. Just to add to Steve's comments um, regarding Outlook Enhance, and uh, Mark will probably put this in the text chat area, if you go to gwmicro.com slash kb2043, gwmicro.com slash kb2043, uh, that's our knowledge base, and that's a specific knowledge base article, 2043, is regarding Outlook Enhance, and it gives you step-by-step -step instructions about uh, not only how to install it, but configure it, and then uh, some other things that um, if the add-in is having issues, you can check that out there. And just as an added comment to the alt semicolon and alt apostrophe for uh, word spell check, that's how I use spell check quite often. I've been using it that way since 2003. One of the nice things about that is if you use that method, your cursor does not leave the document, so your cursor is actually sitting in front of the spelling error. And suppose that you have a homonym like two. Well, should that be two T O T O O or T W O? You can quickly read the sentence with Control Number Pad two with NumLock turned off with Window Eyes and tell what the context of that word is. So it gives you some definite advantages that the traditional spell check, whether it's in the dialogue in the older versions of Office or the Task Pane in uh, 2013, don't necessarily have or not as quick quickly accessed. So just as a heads up on that, it's something that uh, can be a very useful feature and I think actually make you more efficient as a user uh, when spell checking or grammar checking a document. Thank you, Stephen Jeremy. And I'll go ahead and just second the notion to say once people learn this new and improved technique for spell checking, they usually don't go back to the old school dialogue because it's just a much more efficient process. And then as a added benefit, you can also use this capability in Microsoft Outlook when composing messages. So big help. Those spell check hotkeys, once again, alt apostrophe for next spelling mistake, alt semicolon for previous. Let's go ahead and get back to a text chat question. This one's from Brandon Mitch, and he asks, give me a quick second to get back to the question here. With the vocalizer expressive voices, is pitch changing supported? Now, I want to get some confirmation for the rest of my team, but I believe that one is that is one of the feature enhancements of the new expressive voices compared to the original vocalizer voices. So if I am mistaken about that, please speak up. But I do believe now that pitch change is supported with vocalizer expressive. That is correct. All right. So we've got confirmation on that. Now let's go ahead and get back to the audience to see if there's any more audio questions. If not, we've got Lots of text questions coming in, so let's go ahead and open up the mic and see if there's a question, and if not, we'll get back to the text chat questions. 
this is RJ again. Uh, uh, I do want to thank you guys at GW Micro for giving us this offer. Um, and uh, I do have to mention that uh, Brandon was one of the major people that got me to make the switch to Window Eyes. And I know he's on the uh, on the meeting, so I want to thank you, Brandon, for telling me about Window Eyes and for helping me and uh, also the tutorial. Again, um, I hope this offer is around for uh, many more years because a lot of blind people can't afford um, these commercial screen readers and things of that nature. And I think this is going to... Um, really revolutionize um, the uh, screen reading world, as it were. And once again, thank you to Dan and the rest of your staff and Microsoft for making this possible. Because if it wasn't for y'all, I don't know what I'd do. Thank you for your kind words, AJ or RJ. We're very, very happy to be a part of this partnership and to be able to make our software available to more people. Now back to a text chat question. Bruce asks, how does WindowWise read PDFs? Well, probably the best approach to accessing PDFs with WindowWise is via Adobe Reader, which is the free application and PDF viewer that you can download and install on your Windows computer. And once you open a PDF file in Adobe Reader, it's going to allow you to read the document much like it's a web page, meaning that you will be able to use the browse mode navigation keys and other reading commands that you can use on the web. Um, so that's the best way to access PDF files. Um, as a side note, you more than likely want to configure your Adobe Reader application to be optimized for use with your screen reader. Uh, one setting you want to look out for is making sure that um, PDFs open in Adobe Reader as opposed to in your web browser because that can present some usability challenges. Um, so that's just a few tips and uh, there's much more to reading PDFs, but we do have some um, trainings on that subject. So hopefully that information will get you started. And if anyone else on my team has some thoughts to add, I'm sure they can do that. So I'll go ahead and release the mic and uh, see if anyone else has any thoughts to add about PDF files and window eyes. Just one other comment, because we get this uh, PDF question all the time, since people ask, can WindowWise access PDFs and how does it do it? So Mark answered the how, but I just wanted to note that we actually helped Adobe make PDFs accessible way back when. We were the first screen reader to do that. So we've been doing it for a long, long, long time now. Um, so I just wanted to kind of note that, because that's something that we always get asked. And... Uh one other thing that I would like to add to the PDF discussion, um, for those of you who are using Windows XP, be aware that in Adobe 10 and higher, you need to disable a security setting um, which will allow screen readers to access PDFs. So this isn't just related to Windowize, but everybody. Under the Preferences uh, menu item under the Edit menu, which you can reach with Control-K, in Adobe 10, you want to go to Security. In Adobe 11, you want to go to Security Enhanced. And you'll find a checkbox there that says Enable Protected Mode. You want to uncheck that, click OK, and then restart Adobe Reader. So if you have issues reading PDFs, that's the first thing I would recommend if you're on XP. Okay, uh, sir, could you please repeat that one more time, but a bit slower, because I wasn't, I, I didn't catch all that. RJ, just for the sake of time, we're not really able to provide the intimate level of detail you might be looking for, but just trying to point you in the right direction. 
So we wish we could make this a training individual to each person, but we just don't have the resources to do that. So if you need more individualized attention or training, keep in mind you can access the info list and post these questions, or you can reach out to us. We do offer paid support and training services that can help you really be more successful on your PC. Um, so we do have some other questions to get to here. Here's one um, from Stephen, and he asks about punctuation settings. Um, how can I change the punctuation settings and if there's a hotkey to change that? Well, the first thing I'll point out is in the window-wise control panel, which you can access with control backslash, in the settings tree view, you want to down arrow to screen, open the screen node, and then down arrow to punctuation. And then you can press F6 or tab over to the options for punctuation. And that's where you'll find all of the configuration options for customizing what punctuation is spoken. So that'll be a good place to um, adjust those settings. And then uh, I'm guessing that maybe one of my colleagues knows if there is a hotkey. I don't know if there is a, off the top of my head to, to toggle those um, changes. But if not, you can always go to the control panel and make the changes there. Okay, so let's go ahead and see if there's any more questions from the audience who has a microphone. If if so, go ahead and ask it now, please. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, in reference to uh, that gentleman who um, uh, a few minutes ago who gave pointers about switching from one screen reader to another, um, I, way back a number of years ago, I uh, made the switch from JAWS to Window Eyes, and... Um, what I found helpful was to um, try to work with window eyes and do things uh, the way I did them with, with JAWS and um, and try to look for specific commands. Like if I um, routinely uh, uh, did the, uh, um, uh, the read all command in JAWS, uh, then I'd look for what is the read all command in window eyes. So you look for those uh, those equivalents. And uh, I don't know about anybody else, but that, that kind of helped me uh, to get used to window eyes. Thank you, Kevin, for those comments. And we're definitely glad to have you as a part of the family. Um, we do have some more questions. Let's go ahead and move on to some other text chat questions that have been posted here. Wendy asks and states that she's brand new to WindowWise and asks if it's a good option for a sighted person with a reading disability. Now, I guess the short answer to your question is WindowWise is a screen reader. So if you have trouble reading print, it can certainly read information to you and provide that second mode of comprehension in terms of an audio output option. Um, but it is WindowWise is a product that's specifically designed for individuals who are non-visual or visually impaired. So that's who we're really designing the program to benefit. And you might, as a, a visual person just uh, that has a learning disability, benefit from uh, an application that's really targeted more towards your specific needs. So I hope that answers your question, Wendy, and thanks for asking it. Um, we've got another question here, just so I'll get through, and it asks about remote assistance. He asks, when I'm trying to connect to a second party, nothing happens. When the helper received now, just reading this word for word here, when the helper received to me his or her password, there is nothing happens apart from a part of the message stating that connection is established. Do you know how to resolve this? And it says it's from Matthew. Matthew, that's a good question. And WindowWise Remote Assistance does require that you uh, enable the traffic to um, travel between your network and the person you're trying to help and vice versa. So just as an example, you might have to go into the individual's router 
on their network to forward traffic from a specific port to get to their IP address inside their network. So that's a little more technical than we want to get to get into with this webinar, but we do have a knowledge base article, I believe, that speaks to uh, the details of how to configure your network to allow remote connections through remote assistance. Um, and I'm sure my team will have some additional comments, but um, another uh, something you can try is using the alternate help request as opposed to the standard help request option. And by doing so, you will then put the burden of configuring the network settings on your end, the, the helper, as opposed to the person you're trying to help. Because uh, I'm assuming that if you're helping someone, you have more knowledge about networking and how to configure your security settings so you can set up the port forwarding settings in your router, and then the person on the other end of the pipe won't have to worry about that. Um, other considerations are firewalls. There could be a firewall blocking the connection. You have to allow the GW Assist executable to, to be able to run on both of the computers. Um, and Jeremy helped out by posting the Knowledge Base article. It's Knowledge Base article 2014. So you can go to gwmicro.com slash KB2014 to get the details of how to configure your network to allow window-wise remote assistance connections. So there's a lot of details for you as well as more to read through um, after the training. And I hope you find that information helpful and allows you to get connected to your, to your person you're trying to help. And just as an FYI, we're almost uh, 15 minutes over, so what we're going to do is allow uh, one more uh, voice question and one more text question. And if you didn't get a chance to answer to ask your question, don't forget that we'll be doing this uh, same webinar again at 2 p.m. Eastern time today. So I'll toss it back over to Mark. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's go ahead and open it up to one last audio question. Going once. It's Marianne. I just have a quick Maybe it might be two questions, but they're pretty easy ones this time. Thanks for the help, by the way, with the Outlook issue. First question is related to getting font information outside of a Word document or a web page. I know the insert E will bring you into the elements property. Is there a way to get font information in another edit field that is not a Word or a web page? My second question is about uh, frames. So I have my browser set to let me know um, specifically, I don't want to know about lists. I don't want to know if I'm in or out of a list as I'm navigating down the page with my arrow keys. But I have not found a way to tell it that I don't want to hear when I am entering or exiting a frame. I understand that there's a difference between as the page is loading, I'm specifically talking about navigating the page itself with my arrow keys, wondering if there are advice about those. Thanks so much. Great training. Thank you guys very much. So to answer your Actually, I just, sorry, <laughs> forgot what your first question was. Could you repeat it? First question was about getting the font information outside of Word and web pages within other edit fields, such as like Thunderbird or, you know, Notepad or any other, any other document that I want to know its font information for. That's right. Okay, apologies. So the default window-wise keystroke that you can use for just general uh, you know, basic attributes for your cursor is control numpad delete, and the delete key is also the period. So between your insert key or the zero and the enter key is a small square key. So control numpad delete. If you press those two together, that will give you font information based on uh, your cursor position if it's available. Um, it's not always available in certain areas. Uh, if you are using the insert key layout, which uh, Jeremy discussed earlier, you can also use I believe it's insert F or control five, one of those two, to get that same type of information uh, similar to what you would get in JAWS. 
Uh, for your second question about frames, a frame is uh, it's more of a web page boundary, not so much a, an element boundary. So currently that cannot be turned off as far as being told when you're entering and leaving a frame, though um, we are always updating browse mode, uh, especially for our next major release. So, you know, it's possible that that could become an option. All right. Thank you, Marianne, for the great questions and Steve for your helpful answers. Uh, there's just one last text chat question again from Kevin. He's asking about, well, why are there differences in accessing tables between Microsoft Word and um, within web browsers? And I think the answer is because they're two different applications and they present um, information to the screen reader differently. And, and because of that, we have to implement um, different access solutions to give you that information. So um, I don't think uh, we really have time to go into any of the, the technical details of what's happening under the hood, but that's kind of a short answer to your question. Well, there are two different applications and they present information to us differently. So we then have to respond to those applications slightly differently. Um, so at this point, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up the question and answer session here. I think that was uh, a really good uh, dialogue between the group and the moderators here. Great job. Thanks for asking all those wonderful questions. And I'll pass it back to Jeremy here to wrap things up. Just want to remind everybody uh, again about the knowledge base, gwmicro.com slash KB. That's Kilo Bravo. There's all sorts of stuff there. Um, uh, there's uh, the path, the made easy from JAWS to window eyes. You might want to read that um, as well as gwmicro.com slash training that we offer remote support. Uh, Mark Solomon does that. He does a fantastic job as far as remoting in and actually doing customized training. There are options there. We have um, window eyes training classes and we just released window eyes certification yesterday right now it's only available in the u.s but we're looking at adding other countries so if you want to have uh, certified product knowledge it does not make you a trainer but it does make you certified that you've got uh, window eyes knowledge and i think that'll be very valuable as uh, many people are starting to use window eyes as you're seeing here um, that had not used window eyes previously so make sure that you check out those resources gwmicro.com slash training gwmicro.com slash we certified we certified and uh we uh, thank you all for coming. There will be, a, excuse me, there will be another one of these webinars at 2 p.m. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or on our email list because I'm sure we're going to be having a lot more webinars as we've been getting lots and lots of questions. So, thank you, Mark. Fantastic job, and I'll hand it back over to you. All right. Well, on behalf of the entire GW Micro team, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today, and we'll look forward to seeing you all again real, real soon. Welcome to this demonstration of using Airfoil speakers and Airfoil from Rogue Amoeba software to enable your iPhone to play out to multiple AirPlay speakers. Because as we all know at the moment, if you play to an AirPlay speaker from iOS, such as your iPhone, iPod Touch or iPad, you can only play to one AirPlay speaker. So I'm about to show you how to play to multiple AirPlay speakers and in this demo I'll actually be using my iPhone. And in advance, I'm actually going to apologize for the audio quality. I'm actually currently using my MacBook Air in my house and it's a little bit on the echoey side. But hopefully you should get the gist of what I'm trying to demonstrate to you. The first thing I need to do is to run Airfoil speakers and Airfoil on my Mac. So I'm just going to go to my desktop on my Mac with the voiceover command 
shift VAD and of course the VA keys being the control and option keys held down together. So I'll do that now, shift VAD or shift control option D for desktop. Desktop, Macintosh HD volume. Applications folder with shift command A. Applications, now in applications window. It's going to type in AIR. Airfoil speakers app application. That's the application one, airfoil speakers. Open that up with commando. Open. Application. Airfoil speakers window. Now what this is in effect doing is setting my, in this case, MacBook Air up as an actual AirPlay speaker at the moment. So that's all I have to do with airfoil speakers. Now I need to run airfoil itself. So I'm just going to do command tab to go back to the applications folder. Finder. And if I just press down arrow. Airfoil.app application. There's airfoil itself. Command A to open that one. Open. Airfoil. Airfoil window. Audio source button has keyboard focus. And now I have to set my audio source as the airfoil speakers application. So just press the space bar. Menu. 18 items. Come down to airfoil speakers. Recent applications. Red Here Pro. That's Red Here Pro, the daisy player for the Mac. Airfoil speakers. And there's airfoil speakers. Just press the enter key. Closing menu. Audio source button. Now I'll just show you the current speakers I've got set up at the moment. So it's going to do VOM or Control Option M for main menu. Menu bar Apple. Cost of speakers. Airfoil. Speakers. And pull it down. Speakers. Menu 12 items. Transmit to. Dim. So I can transmit to. Computer command 1. So computer is command 1. AQ smart speaker 016 AC3 command 2. That's my first AQ audio speaker which is the command key plus 2. And that's actually the AQ Audio Smart Speaker in my dining room. If I come down one more. AQ Smart Speaker 016 BBE Command 3. And Command 3 is my AQ Audio Smart Speaker where I'm sitting here in the lounge room. And my other AirPlay speakers underneath this menu include also my Apple TV in my lounge room, study, and the boys' playroom as well. But I won't do those at the moment for this demo. So that's going to press the escape key. Closing menu, audio source button. I'm going to actually select those two speakers that I want the iPhone, in this case, to play out to. So I'm going to do command 2. AQ smart speaker 016 AC3 checked effects button. Okay, so that's the one in the dining room. Command 3. AQ smart speaker 016 BBE checked. And I'm not going to check the computer one, which is command 1. So let's come back to the iPhone. And I'm just going to select Downcast, which is the app for playing podcasts. I'm just going to press the app switcher on my iPhone with the home button twice. App switcher, home. Flick to the right, Downcast. Downcast, running. Double tap that. Downcast. Bring up the control center to select AirPlay. So touch the status line at the top. Orientation locked, status bar item. Three finger flick up for the control center. Control center, airplane mode, off. Down to the bottom. Calculator. Button. And flick back to the left to find airplay. Clock. Flashlight. Airplay. Button. One finger double tap. Airplay. Heading. Okay, flick to the right. Done. Button. Selected. iPhone. Okay, that's my iPhone, of course. AQ Smart Speaker 016 AC3. Audio Smart Speaker. AQ Smart Speaker 016 David S. MacBook Air. And that's my MacBook Air. Remember, I said that my MacBook Air is now acting as an AirPlay speaker itself. 
but in conjunction with airfoil, I'm then retransmitting, if you like, from airfoil speakers out to, in this case, my two AQ Audio Smart speakers. So I'm going to select my Mac, one finger double tap. Selected, David S. MacBook Air. Okay, and of course with AirPlay, I still retain VoiceOver on my current iOS device, which is the iPhone. Come out of AirPlay by choosing the top right hand button on the screen. Done button. That's the done button, one finger double tap. Airplane mode, off. I'm back to control center, two fingers scrub. Downcast, back, back button. Okay, and now if I come down the bottom to find the play button. Play button. One finger double tap. Plays or pauses audio, pause. Welcome to this demonstration of an overview of the voiceover Bluetooth keyboard commands for iOS. Okay, so that's playing out of my AQ Audio iPhone, speaker in the lounge room. Touch or iPad. That's my recent demo on my iPhone, iOS Bluetooth keyboard commands. Over, and if I get up with my MacBook... Before I get started, let me just say that I've got my iPhone turned on. Come into the kitchen. And keep going into the dining room. Okay, and there's my second AQ Audio Smart Speaker playing in the dining room. So I'm effectively playing two AirPlay speakers from my iOS device. And if I want to be really cute, let me just leave the dining room. Coming back through the kitchen. There's the lounge room AQ Audio Smart Speaker. And I've just come into my boy's playroom. So if I effectively want a third AirPlay speaker running, I can now choose my Mac. So if I do Command 1. Computer checked. The left one is your left arrow, the right one okay. is your right arrow. So right down the side of my come house, to the top I've of the now keyboard. got three AirPlay speakers running from my iPhone, which is still sitting in the lounge room. So if I do Command 1, computer. I've unselected my computer. And I'm just going to come back out of the playroom. I normally leave my Bluetooth keyboard turned on. The actual off button is on the back of the Oops, keyboard. Oops, I'm going to here. Okay, and I'm back to the lounge room. So if I come back to my iPhone, and it's on the right-hand side, and two-finger double tap, you push it turn it on or off. In summary, I've used two applications on my Mac to allow multiple airplaying from my iOS device. So first of all, I ran the Air Force speakers application and that turned my MacBook Air into an AirPlay speaker. Then I ran Airfoil itself and chose the audio source to retransmit as the Airfoil speakers application itself. And then when I was on my iPhone, I then chose AirPlay chose my AirPlay speaker, in this case my MacBook Air, and then when I was transmitting my audio demo from Downcast to my Mac, being an AirPlay speaker, I then of course used Airfall to retransmit the sound coming in out to my other AirPlay speakers, i.e. the one in my lounge room and the one in my dining room. And then of course I finished off by just showing you turning on my third AirPlay speaker as it were, as in reactivating the AirPlay speaker in the MacBook Air itself. So effectively, I had three AirPlay speakers running all at the same time, even though as far as the iOS device was concerned, it was AirPlaying to one AirPlay device.
So I hope that's made sense. I actually enjoy using that type of setup, especially to listen to the cricket lately. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Hello, Main Menu listeners. This is Chase Crispin, and today I am pleased to be speaking with Brad Davis, who is the Vice President of Hardware Product Management at Freedom Scientific. And today we're talking about the new Ruby HD, which is a recently released handheld magnifier from Freedom Scientific. Brad, welcome to Main Menu, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Chase. So Freedom Scientific is pretty well known for, of course, JAWS and OpenBook, and also for your line of magnifiers that are very popular with low vision users and the Ruby HD is quite a nice addition to your line of products already. Can you go ahead and talk about just some of the highlights of this new product? Sure. The Ruby handheld has been uh, a very popular choice for the last few years and in May we brought out an HD version in a 5 inch display format and added some features uh, including uh, continuous magnification rather than three distinct steps of magnification that lets you kind of fit the text to the window uh, in the, uh, the best way that's usable for you depending on what you're looking at. And a, a reference line to track your text as you move back and forth across a document. Uh, shades to uh, focus in on just one line if that, uh, that's better for you. And the ability to save messages, or save images. So we started shipping the Ruby XL HD with its 5 megapixel autofocus camera in May last year and looked at adding those capabilities to the popular, more compact format of the 4.3 inch Ruby. So uh, first week of January, we announced an upgraded version of this, the 4.3 inch Ruby that has the features of the Ruby XL HD. Uh, continuous magnification, 80 images that you can save. You know, I try to give examples of what you might save and uh, I start to run out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you load it up, you can transfer them and start fresh. And USB connectivity so that you can download those images to your PC. Very cool. And does this replace the other handheld Ruby model, or is this an addition to that one? No, no, this is an addition. Okay. Uh, th th this has a much crisper image. You know, you've got very vibrant uh, colors when you're looking at uh, a photograph, but um, it in no way obsoletes the previous Ruby. Uh, previous Ruby has uh, a little bit simpler interface. Uh, it doesn't save the images, uh, and it's $100 less. So uh, we think that people will will look across the, the line of Ruby magnifiers and choose the one that's best for them. How large is the Ruby HD? Does it fit in a pocket? Is it easy to take with you if you were wanting to take it to the store or something like that? Yeah, it comes in its own carry case with a belt loop, but uh, it does slip into a pocket. And that's why we wanted to put the HD camera into that format because it's just... Uh, you know, a little bit more convenient than the five-inch size. Mm -hmm. What's the battery life like? The battery life is two hours. It runs out, but that's continuous use. So you know, if you're carrying it around to spot check prices, and, uh, look at the bust schedule, and, and read labels on products, 
skim through documents, uh, read menus, it's going to last you a long time. But if you do go flat while you're out and about, the batteries are uh, rechargeable AAAs, and you can replace them with alkaline AAAs. So it'll run off disposable batteries if, if uh, you need to. That's very nice. That'll be popular, I'm sure, for people that might not have the charger with them. It, it, it's nice to have that little backup confidence, yeah. Does this magnifier have any OCR or anything built in that might be useful to a totally blind user, or is this specifically aimed at the low-vision market? No, this is aimed uh, at the low-vision market. It's, it's the portable have it with you all the time to give you the ability to read text without uh, the type of uh, distortion you get with a glass magnifier. Uh, it has its own LED lighting, so it works very well in a low-light condition. You're in one of these high-end restaurants where you need to read the menu by candlelight, uh, or uh, if you're home and your spouse is watching TV in the darkened room and you feel more, feel more like reading the newspaper, uh, it works quite well. What's the price point on this Ruby HD? It is $645, okay. which, which makes it $100 more than the standard Ruby. And you mentioned it, cam- it comes with a carrying case. Is it included with any other accessories when you purchase it? There, there's a carrying case and a USB cable to transfer your images and the charger. Okay. And plus a wrist strap if you want to just secure it to your wrist uh, as you go through the aisles or whatever. And then there is an accessory reading stand that holds it two inches up off the page at a, at a steady height for those who can deal with uh, a lower magnification level. And that will, that will give you a 2x magnification as you move across a page. And is that stand an additional purchase? Yes, that's okay. 1995. Okay. We, we don't include it in the standard package because not everyone... Can, can deal with the 2x magnification. Right, okay. Can you give some contact information for Freedom Scientific for people that might want to learn more or purchase the Ruby HD? Sure, you can read all about it at our website, www.freedomscientific.com. There's a short video uh, showing it in action and showing how the different controls work to uh, step through the 20 different high contrast modes it comes with six high contrast modes, but you can actually configure it for up to 20. Or you could simplify it and just have it be a full color magnification without any of the other modes. That uh, is very nice, having that flexibility. Yeah, so that's shown in the video, the um, bringing up the adjustable reading line and the adjustable masks, uh, continuous magnification, uh, and how to freeze an image or save an image or even save up to 80 images and have them display in rotation every few seconds in a slideshow mode. Before we wrap this up, is there anything else about the Ruby HD, uh, any of your low vision products, or just anything else that's going on at Freedom Scientific that you would like to mention to our listeners? I know Freedom Scientific is a pretty busy company. Yeah, we have. We announced last year the that uh, our Topaz XL HD desktop video magnifier uh, now connects to your PC using the GEM software and can pass an image to the OpenBook OCR program. So we now have a scanning and reading solution with the Topaz desktop video magnifier, and it's a full scanning and reading 
solution that gives you an editable document and you know, the ability to save uh, your edits, change uh, change voices, uh, save your result as a as a wave or MP3 file. You know, all those advanced features of uh, Open Book, like a you know built-in dictionary and spell checker and so on. Very neat. And is what's the price on that? That's a four hundred ninety-five dollar adder. Okay. To any of the Topaz XLHD models. So you could buy a 17-inch or 24-inch, 20-inch, 22-inch, whatever fits your budget or your your preference, and uh, add the 495, and you've got a full-scale uh, scanning and reading video magnifier solution. That is very nice, and I'm sure very useful for customers that might have low vision but might also like to be able to sit back and listen to their material also. Yeah, uh, and it also redisplays the, the content in... So it reformats it and wraps on the screen, so it's easy to read and follow along with it. Word search it, look at uh, the content in split screen, so you see the reformatted text in high contrast with spotlighting. And then you can also see the true image of whatever it is you're reading, which might have some columns and uh, sidebars, pictures with captions. So you get the, f- the full understanding of the text in context. That is very nice. Brad, I'd like to thank you for taking this time to speak with us here on Main Menu and telling us about the latest uh, in low vision products from Freedom Scientific. And hopefully we'll be hearing from you in the future with uh, more Freedom Scientific news. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks, Chase. If you're interested in providing feedback about Main Menu, chatting with all of the members of the Main Menu staff, and be able to communicate with a large number of Main Menu's listeners, you might wish to subscribe to the Main Menu Friends mailing list. To subscribe to the Main Menu Friends mailing list, you can send an email to mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. You can also participate in conversation about Main Menu on Twitter by following at Main Menu or visiting our Twitter page at www.twitter.com slash Main Menu. On behalf of the entire Main Menu staff, I'd like to thank you for being with us today here on Main Menu. We'll look forward to seeing you back again next week. Meantime, you have a good week, and we'll see you soon.